Terry, hey, between those, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that for our area code. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's absolutely right. We wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from folks, and we've got Clark's been patiently holding. Good morning, Clark. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for coming in on the holiday weekend. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Good morning. Yeah, I've got a 2004 Camry SC with a 2.4 okay. four-cylinder engine. Yes, sir. With 111,000 miles on it. I've got, apparently there's something going on with the carburetor of the throttle body. It's sticking. You know, when you stomp down on it, it just stays stuck. It's wide open, kills the car. Okay. And it's hard to start. It takes a while, and after a while, it'll eventually it'll start. And I got two error codes. Okay. P0121, about the throttle. Right, idle. Mm-hmm. Pedal position. Mm-hmm. And also got a P2112 throttle actuator control system stuck closed. Yeah, it sounds, Clark, like something may have come apart inside that throttle body because I'm pretty sure that one's going to be drive-by-wire on 2004. It doesn't have any linkage or anything going to it. It's all pretty much electronically controlled. Yeah, exactly, because I was yeah. looking at the linkage. It's been a long time since Yeah, I there's no the linkage on it. It's got an accelerator yeah. pedal sensor, and then it's got a motor inside the throttle body. It would have to be a fault inside that motor. And what's going to happen is that as soon as the computer sees that it can't actuate the throttle properly, it's going to shut it down because it doesn't want the car to run away with you. But that would almost have to be inside the throttle body itself, and there are no serviceable parts inside of it. One thing you could just attempt to do is to take it off and clean it and put it back together. There is a very small chance that may help, but I'm going to vote that it's probably something in the little motor itself's malfunction, something's physically come mm-hmm. apart and is binding up inside the throttle body. Now, that's going to be a pretty expensive little piece. You mm-hmm. might be able to go to a salvage yard or something and find one. On an old Ford, it should not require programming, so you should be able to find, if you can find a used one, you could probably substitute that over. Yeah, I've been looking on the internet. Mm-hmm. You're right. They want like a thousand bucks. I was going to say, I thought they were very expensive. I know just the idle motor on that thing is about $300, and that's only a part of it. So the throttle body is pretty pricey. Do you see any re? To me, it seems like it might be worth it to try to find a aftermarket model. I doubt very seriously you're going to find that yeah. because those are so vehicle-specific. I don't think the aftermarket can afford to tool up and make them. Well, I don't know. I found a bunch of them on the Internet. You might find trying, some I'm kind of a high-performance one. You know, it's not going to be the same as the original stock unit, which mm-hmm. may end up giving you problems with check engine lights and getting a vehicle mm-hmm. inspection and all that. Right. If there is a direct replacement aftermarket, I'm not aware of it, but if there is, then, yeah, that would be another option. You could, you could check that and see. But i tell you the truth, Clark, I would rather have a used original equipment part than a new aftermarket part i've just had so much trouble with the aftermarket stuff a lot of it is made offshore somewhere it doesn't even meet the specs right out the box at least a used part is an original toyota part and i gotta say that's a fairly uncommon failure i mean i haven't seen a lot of that so yeah so you should be able to find it pretty easy yeah a used one yeah if you can find one it should be fine find one maybe somebody ran an engine out of oil and burnt the engine mm-hmm. up or ran it hot yeah, a total. You know, yeah, somehow they, they damage the motor and they'll sell you the throttle body because if it got a good motor, they don't want to sell the throttle body off of it. But I would yeah. think that could be found. And like I said, I would prefer a used original Toyota one, I think, to anyone, anything else. I did notice when I was doing the research on the Internet, there was a lot of 
lot of stuff about recalls on that particular model on that throttle body. Well, they did because that was back around the time they were having that throttle sticking issue Mm -hmm. reputedly. And I think they were coming up with different software renditions and stuff and different safeguards to keep Mm -hmm. that from happening. And as, as I understand it, once they finally figured it out, it wasn't the car at all. It was actually the floor mats and driver air and all these other things that they've contributed to but i would think you could probably find a used one somewhere it would be your your least expensive option okay but you might just sure. try cleaning it and see i mean you really don't have much to lose on a little bit of time it's, it's possible it could have some carbon buildup that's sticking the blade in it just make well, sure. yeah that's what i was kind of thinking that was going to be my first, <laughs> yeah. my first step yeah know? yeah get some regular <laughs> throttle body cleaner we use a product that we buy from chrysler chrysler has a throttle body cleaner that we use on everything just because we mm-hmm. like it but, I mean, you can buy it from a parts store, but you don't want to spray just anything down in there because some of those throttle bores are anodized, and if you put too strong of a cleaner, you can eat the anodization off, and it'll start leaking through the throttle body. It won't idle, and it'll give you all kinds of problems. Just make sure when you get ready to do it that you put, take the keys out of the ignition, yeah. take them out of the car, make sure that there's the key is not left on because mm-hmm. if you can move that throttle plate, if the key is on, that little motor may try to close it. Uh-huh. And if your fingers are in it, it's going to close oh, on your fingers. You're not going to have a good day. No. <laughs> you're screaming uh, at your wife to come turn the yeah. key off. <laughs> Honestly, I like to take them off the car. Yeah. Because you can get mm-hmm. to the backside to clean them real well that way. And usually yeah. they've got a rubber gasket that you can reuse when you put it back together. So it's just a matter of unbolting it, cleaning it, and putting it back on. Right. Oh, yeah. It looked pretty simple. I was amazed. Mm-hmm. It looked like yeah. there's only like four bolts. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Door. Four bolts and an electrical plug. That's it. Yeah, and a couple of hoses, a few hoses, mm-hmm. and that was about it. All right, so you would use you would be all right cleaning one of those spray carburetor cleaners. I would get a throttle body cleaner. Yeah, it says throttle body yeah. cleaner on it. It shouldn't be okay. with three or four bucks a can. It's not really expensive, but you want something. You don't want to use like a carburetor cleaner or something that's real harsh because it can actually damage it. So you want something that says throttle body cleaner on the right. label. We buy that Mopar stuff by the case. Yeah, I keep buy it at the shop. Yeah. Dodge, but okay. All right, appreciate All right, Craig. It. Hey, nice right, man. Bye-bye. Y'all have a good day. Thank Thanks, you. sir. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you're part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And we've got Bruce online. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. Yes, good sir. morning, Mr. Bruce. Uh, how's it going? Doing Very great, well. Sir. I think I had asked you this question before, and you, you said something about looking into it about yes, oil filters. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Got an 07 GMC with a 4.8 motor. Correct. It takes the PF48 oil filter. Right. Now, the last, I buy my own filters, mm-hmm. and the last filters I bought, all I could find was a 48E. Yeah, I have not had a chance to look into that, Mr. Bruce. You did call with that a couple of weeks ago. I've been on vacation for two weeks, so <laughs> I just got back, hadn't had a chance to look into it. But, yeah, that's one of my priorities. As soon as I get the opportunity to research it and, and find out more, I may have to. I've asked Delco about it, and like I said, they only say that it's just packaging is the only difference. But I'm a little skeptical about that, just like you well, are. I'm particular about stuff like that. Yeah. I just want to know what the difference is. Yeah, I'm hoping to find that out, and as soon as I do, I'll announce it on the show. Well, I asked them, the people when I bought them at a parts store, right. and they all they said was, oh, they just changed the number. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> those people aren't as knowledgeable as they'd like you to believe. Yeah, and I don't know. I've found Delco doing a lot of really quirky things lately. I just have lost a lot, a lot of faith in them as a company. Yeah, well, you're not the only one, so. especially after Obama got through with them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank All you, right, Bruce. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we always love hearing from you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Lewis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. Forty years is really far out, man. <laughs> Lewis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Go! Oh, 40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesland, with Mr. Brian Terry. We really appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And why don't you give us a call? It's 291-6901. Help you out and point you in the right direction. And should you happen not to want to be on the air today or maybe think of something after we go off the air at 11 o'clock today, right. you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. And the address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is take the acronyms Altazan's Garage Company to get you to our site. And there's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and click the submit button, and that's yeah, it. It couldn't be easier. Just get it on over to us. We're going to ask back to you always within 24 hours and most time a lot faster. Just, just on depends on when you send it. Where I happen to be at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Was driving into New Orleans thursday afternoon uh-huh. and of course when you hit the 12 mile bridge oh yeah it's backed up just bumper to bumper with all the fourth of july traffic and what have you and i'm sitting there at an idle for i don't know 10 15 20 minutes and i'm just thinking to myself how happy i am that i maintained the cooling system on my car <laughs> well most definitely because you know as well as i do there's nowhere to get off that bridge you no. get to the 310 X. that's right and sure that we're sitting here, it's 95 degrees Fahrenheit, sure, which is, what, 35 30 degrees Celsius, Celsius, right? which is very hot outside, and you're just sitting stopped, which is not much air flowing through your radiator, so there's nothing to cool it other than the cooling fans, and of course my car, the temperature gauge never got never over normal, right. and the air conditioning worked just fine, and I was real, real pleased, <laughs> but I'm thinking about all the folks who maybe have not maintained their cooling system as well right. as should have or just things that do go wrong and overheating today is not like in your dad's day or your granddad's day or even your day if you're old enough right cars were built a whole lot more robust back then they were built with all similar metals you had cast iron heads you had a cast iron block all that heated and cooled at the same rate same rate today's engines you have dissimilar metals you have aluminum heads you have Iron block. Steel head bolts. Steel head bolts. And when a car starts to overheat, those metals expand at different rates. And that aluminum is going to expand faster than the block will. That's right. Which will... And a lot faster than those head bolts will. Sure. And we've actually seen uh, heads crack 
Oh yeah, because of that, they, the head starts to expand. The bolt stops it, and it'll crack right around the bolt head. That's right. And if you remember back in your old high school chemistry class and all that, you generally had what they call a bimetallic strip in uh-huh. every high school lab. And it was a piece of maybe steel on one side riveted to a piece of aluminum on the other side. And you would heat it up, and it would bow. Yeah. And it would bow considerably. And that's because the rates of thermal expansion on dissimilar metals vary greatly. Mm-hmm. And it's the same exact thing in an automobile engine nowadays. And like you hit on initially, the engines today have a lot less metal in them simply because they're trying to save weight, they're trying to save cost. Right. Lighter picks up fuel economy. That's right. So they've reduced the weight of the engines considerably. For instance, an engine back in the 1960s might have weighed, a small block Chevrolet probably weighed 550 pounds. Right. An engine today may weigh 200 pounds, 250 pounds. And some of that is as physically been made smaller, but a lot of that is because they've left metals out. In order right, the blocks it's made are it not as thick. The cast iron in the block, if it's cast iron, are not as thick. The heads are smaller. Everything is smaller, lighter, less stuff in there. Mm-hmm. So it's less able to deal with any kind of abuse. And right. Overheating is probably one of the worst forms of abuse a car can withstand, not only because of the dissimilar metals and all of that, But you have to remember also, back in the day we were talking about, cars had maybe a 160-degree thermostat in them. Okay. So that meant they operated around 160 to 170 degrees was normal operating temperature. When they were, quote-unquote, getting hot, they were going to 200, maybe 220. Maybe. And we considered that pretty hot. Well, cars today generally have a 195 degree thermostat that means they're operating around 200 normal operating temperature right 200 to 210 is normal operating temperature and sometimes your fans are regulated to come on at 220 right or even 230 in a right few weird cases but when an engine gets hot today it's probably going 240 degrees plus correct and at that temperature some very very drastic things are occurring For instance, one of the things that a lot of folks don't think about is the pistons inside the cylinders start to expand. Right. Now, a piston is fitted to a cylinder wall. There's about two to three thousandths of an inch of clearance, and that's to allow the oil film to be in there to lubricate the piston so that the piston doesn't touch the cylinder wall. Now, when it starts to heat up, that piston is going to expand. Two to three thousandths is almost nothing. Sure. For 240 to 250 degrees. When it expands, there's no room for the oil to fit. So right. the piston starts rubbing against the cylinder wall. Now, you start rubbing two pieces of metal together, and a little thing called friction is going to take over. This is going to get very, very hot, very, very quick, and it's going to start galding up. It's going to start chewing up the cylinder wall. Sure, and you're already overheated. You're already overheated. So the oil is already at its weakest ebb because it's as thin well, it's as it can get. The viscosity yeah. is very thin. It can't fit in these spaces to lubricate anything any longer. So you start to gall up the pistons. You start to gall up the cylinder walls. The rings start to chew up into the cylinder walls. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but like you mentioned earlier, the cylinder head starts to expand. When it does, there's nowhere for it to go because the head bolts are holding it down. Right. So it crushes the head gasket. It has to go down towards the engine block. That's the only place it can go. The bolts are keeping it from coming up. So it's going to crush that cylinder head gasket. Once that gasket is crushed and it starts to get compression again, whereas once it cools down and compression comes up, it's going to blow the gasket out. Right, because there's a gap there now. That's right. It's not fitting properly, even if the head doesn't warp or crack, which it could do. Now, once the cylinder head gasket starts to leak, you start leaking 
hydrocarbons into the coolant, which just makes it start to overheat more and more and more. Sure. And that is an extremely, extremely expensive repair in most cases because the cylinder head gasket is way down inside the engine. You sure. have to take a lot of stuff off to get to it. Well, and you've also got to recheck the heads. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you have to replace them. They can't be fixed. Right. Have to be so replaced. you have to replace the heads, mm-hmm. which on most V-type engines, you have two. Mm-hmm. So that's an additional cost, plus the labor to get down to them, plus well, the gaskets. Even on like a little four-cylinder motor, like say a little Honda four-cylinder, that is an overhead cam engine. So that head also contains the camshaft and all of that kind of stuff. Right. A cylinder head on a Honda four-cylinder is about $1,700 for the part. Exactly. And what happens when that head heats up? The head is aluminum, mm-hmm. but the cam and the caps are steel. Yeah, cast iron. Right. So the... Head expands, and when it does, it bows that cam, right? And it drives the cam into the thrust bearing that's, that's right. on one of the caps. Well, it eats into the thrust bearing four or five thousandths of an inch, and when it cools down, the cam wants to walk back and that's forth right. now. And, and if the cam walks back and forth, it actually gets it loses its signal from the cam sensor. That's right. And you have problems with it dying or not running correctly. Well, and we had a car come in not long ago, a little Honda Civic, with that exact problem. And what had happened is over the years, it had been overheated a few times. It had been run low on all a few times. And the camshaft had worn the thrust bearing on the cylinder head, which is an integral part of the cylinder head. Right. So that what would happen is that when you're driving along, the car would just die. In other words, the camshaft would move back. Now, I'm talking two thousandths of an inch total allowable in play this one had about five right so about two and a half times what it should have the camshaft would walk back when it did it would lose the cam signal wham the car would die start running bad first and then die mm-hmm. now the fix for that is a new cylinder head which right. like we said is about seventeen hundred dollars <laughs> right because that thrust bearing is actually part of the main cap that's right on the the camshaft mm-hmm. and to replace it you have to have the the camshaft re- the cam Right, you have to have a whole new cylinder head because the caps are kind of like the caps on an engine. They're line board. In other words, when they cast this head, they make a cap, they make a head casting, they put it together, run a machine through that, punches that out at a perfectly straight, perfectly sized line that the camshaft will fit into. Correct. Now, you can't just take one cap off and interchange it with another cap. Right, because, because you've messed the, the, it, it, the line up. won't work. It'll lock up or it'll have too much slack in it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you can't take the caps off an engine and mix them up. You can't take the one off number one and move it to number three. When you do, it's going to probably lock the engine up. Right. Or, or at very least, it'll wear the bearing out and, and burn it up and so on and so forth. So once that cam bearing, and on a Honda, that thrust bearing only covers one half, and there's just the metal on the cap has a thrust bearing the lower part of the casting does not have a thrust bearing okay so there's not a lot of metal there to start with and if you start to overheat the car or you start to run it low on oil or you go too long between your oil changes and the viscosity breaks down doesn't lubricate properly you pick up some wear in that area well next thing you know you got a mystery problem with your car dying and And nobody could fix well and (laughs) once you do finally figure it out it may very well be that the fix is a new car. Yeah, it exceeds the, the or value. Or a new engine. Of, yeah, a new engine at very least. Right. Or another engine. And so that's just one of the things. Now, when cars overheat, there's a lot more happening and a lot more things being damaged than, than just the obvious right just up front. The, the few things that we've talked about right uh-huh. there. We're going to go back into that in a whole lot more detail in the second section. We're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. 
Good day and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Lewis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> Lewis, fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Now, noise off the river to ride. Don't mind it, cause the man with the whiskers has a hey, line behind it. Hey, welcome back to Storm Motorbike. Host Lewis Alvin with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, if you're trying to answer any automotive questions you might have, why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we got Doug's been holding. Good morning, Doug. How's it going? Doing great, sir. Doing great. I got a 99 Suburban, and my running lights don't come on. Okay. work, but the running lights don't. So. Yeah, the daytime running lights. Doug, the most common thing on that, by wide measure, is the sockets are going to be burned up on it. And that's pretty common on that particular one. From 99 on up to about 2007 or 8, they had a lot of trouble with that. I don't know if those sockets were undersized or they just had a bad fit on it or maybe it was a special bulb and people put different bulbs in them but we change those sockets out all the time for that problem and you can plug a new bulb in it might actually work for a little bit but it'll go right back out again because it's not making good contact but that's the most common thing what you can do do you have a voltmeter doug no i don't yeah i was gonna say if you had a voltmeter you can just pull that little part of the grill out where you can get to it go in and touch the two contacts if you got 12 volts there then it's gonna be the socket if you do not have 12 volts, you got to trace it back. And there are a few things. Yeah. There's actually a little lighting sensor. There's a sensor in the middle of the dash right. that controls them. It, when it sees daylight, it turns them on, and when it gets dark, it turns them off. Right. Now, one other thing that's kind of obscure, but you might just check, if it thinks the parking brake is on, it's going to turn the DRLs off. So check and make sure that switch on your parking brake is working. You hit the parking brake, make sure the light comes on right. and release it, make sure it goes off. Because if it thinks the parking brake is on, even if it isn't, it's going to kill your DRLs. Right, it will. All right. Uh, another question. Do y'all clean the headlamp lenses? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Any idea what's that normal charge? Probably around $95 do the whole deal. That's sanding, cleaning, polishing, the whole bit. It takes about an hour to do two of them. Okay. All right. right. It. Sounds great. Thanks, man. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would absolutely love to have you. And we're going back to our phone lines with Joe. Good morning, Joe. Hey, Lewis. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Tried to call you last week, but you never would give out the phone number. On the phone. <laughs> That's because I recorded. <laughs> <laughs> you could have called. You just wouldn't have got me unless you could call Cancun. <laughs> yeah. Look, I got a 2005 Envoy GMC. Yes, sir. I'm riding down the road. My crew's on. It cuts out. Okay. You can reset it. It'll run a while. And it cuts off again. Okay. So... Could it be the brake switch? It is possible. They do have a lot of brake switch failures on those, Joe. It will actually set a code. You can get the codes read, the body module, and it'll have a code if it's brake light switch related. Some of the things that can control that, one is a brake light switch. Two is the ABS sensors will actually affect it. Now, three is, this is kind of obscure, but are you getting a check engine light at all? No. Okay. Some things that set a check engine light, that set a code, 
or a pending code are going to disable the cruise. So you might want to get the code scanned. Make sure there's, number one, not a brake light switch code. And number two, no other codes are pending codes because some pending codes will not turn on the light, but they will kill the cruise. Now, you're not going to be able to get those codes read at a parts place. Right. You're going to have to have a GM scan tool, a Tech 2, to plug into that unit to access the body control right. module. Those little parts readers and, and parts stores and code readers only read the PCM yeah, codes. Well, they only read OBD2 emissions codes because that's what it gives them but there's lots of other codes that can be in there and if it's got a code in memory or if a code occurs it's going to disable the cruise on gm right so you know the cruise itself there is no separate piece like in the old days because you got drive by wire the throttle body is already there and the PCM is already there. Basically, all they do is add a switch. And They're just commanding it from the you PCM. You hit the switch, it tells the PCM how many miles per hour, and it just opens the throttle by that much. But it's no separate hardware like back in the old days when you had a... Had the cables and the actuators right, and the right. switches and all that. You don't have all that right. anymore. So generally, it's either going to be like a brake light switch, a code stored in memory, or an ABS sensor or something along now, those lines. Okay. No, well... I was. We had one the other day. We changed the brake light switch in, and the cruise wouldn't work right. until we actually cleared the code right. for the brake light switch. Right. You had to actually clear the code out of memory before right. it would actually, before it would actually it work. start working again. But I'm kind of thinking you may have some code that's popping up, not turning the light on, and like it, you it's said, a pending code. Yeah, pending code or something like that. Or, like you said, the brake light switch is another possibility. We have changed a handful of just the switch switches, but I would say a small handful and that's a real pricey switch so i wouldn't go after that first i would probably i mean if you want to just throw something at it and hope for the best the brake light switch is fairly cheap and it's easy to change and they do go out a lot so if you want to do something you could do that if that doesn't do it then you can get it checked and make sure you get a a quality yeah good quality brake light switch i guess i'll try that if not i'll bring it to you yeah if it doesn't then we can check it and tell you let me say that i changed the front wheel bearing Uh uh-huh you know you got to buy a whole right that's right right Mm -hmm. I mean, the ABS light is not on. Could that have something to do Absolutely, with it? Absolutely, yes, sir. It's mm-hmm. possible it could be dropping a signal, and as soon yeah, as it, it drops a signal, it may drop well, it fast enough to kick the cruise out, well, but not, fa- see, not enough to turn the light on. it drop the signal, think it's going into ABS, so it's not going to set a code because it's just normal operation. It just thinks it's going to ABS. It's going to cut the cruise off if it goes to ABS. Well, I think so I'm going to bring it if, to you because yeah, I don't have all that. <laughs> right. If ABS is actuating at all, and it may be subtle, you may not even be feeling it. But let's say you're driving down the interstate and it loses sight of that signal. Well, because you're not touching the brake pedal, it's not going to start pulsing or anything. However, it's going to drop your cruise out. Right. Yeah, well, that's what it's doing. Yeah, it could very well be. Mm-hmm. Could okay, be. I got this. I got the same question. I got the same problem on a 2,300 CRV. It started kicking the cruise out. Mm-hmm. So... Kind of sort of the same yeah. things. I mean, almost all the cruises on later model vehicles are not a separate part. For instance, my truck, I've got an O2 model Chevy pickup. I bought it without cruise control. And the only thing I had to do to add cruise is get a switch. I hooked right. the switch up, and er- I mean, even the light was already in the dash. Everything, all the software, everything was there. I put a switch in it and went to the computer and told it, hey, I got cruise now, and enabled it, and it all works fine. So, it's not like the old days where you had a whole bunch of separate hardware to make cruise work. It's all integral to the car. So generally, if you've got a fault in the hardware, you're going to have some other kind of big problem, too. Yeah. Well, I'll just bring it and let you check it. Yeah. It's all right. not a big fix. All right, man. All right, man. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we'd love to have you. And we've got John online. Good morning, John. Hi, guys. It's John from Toronto calling. Hey, John. How you doing, man? 
Good. I see you're back for your holidays. That's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to phone and, and wish you a happy Independence Day and all the other American friends there. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's a little warm here today. It's, we're about an hour ahead of time. You get, it's 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. <laughs> Man. <laughs> you call that warm, huh? <laughs> that may be my new summer place to go. Once I retire, I'm looking for somewhere else in the world to go June, July, and August. Yeah. We're, I mean, the rest of the year is gorgeous down here, but June, July, and August, I just can't take it. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought you could laugh at Oh, we're going to get up to 77 today. So. Yeah, but I have to open a shop in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> I already got yeah. one customer there. There you huh? go. <laughs> I'd be bringing customers to you for sure. There you go. Please <laughs> scout the place to see if you could find one. You Maybe you wouldn't, but right? All right, John. Anyway, Hey, let me tell you to have a great holiday, and, and thanks for everything. Yeah, thanks, Thank man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you're part of the automotive hour, we would absolutely love to have you. Why don't you give us a call? And we were talking about cars overheating right. and stuff such as that just before the break. And when an engine overheats, it does more than just damage the engine, per se. Right. For instance, people don't think about it, but the transmission is cooled by the engine radiator. Right. It actually has a separate cooler inside the tank of the radiator. That's right. So when the engine starts to overheat, the transmission is also overheating. Right. So it's not unusual when you get a bad overheat to end up with transmission problems soon Mm -hmm. thereafter. Now, another thing is the air condition is dependent on engine temperature. Right, because you have the condenser sitting out in front of the radiator. Correct. And the airflow going through it should be adequate enough to keep everything cool. Well, that's controlling the head pressure, which is going to the compressor. And on most late model vehicles, the manufacturers have realized what a problem this is. Mm-hmm. So as soon as the engine starts to overheat, it shuts that AC down. Right. That's one of the non-essential accessories on the engine. That, and that just, is the first one they shut down. Just to pr- also to protect Protect it. the system and to decrease the load on the engine. But if your car doesn't do that, when that engine temperature starts to go up, the temperature of the condenser is also going to rise. Mm-hmm. And when the temperature of the condenser rises, the head pressure on the compressor goes through the ceiling. That head pressure may normally operate around 200 to 250 PSI. When the engine starts to overheat or air quits flowing properly through the condenser, that can go up to 400 PSI pretty fast. Mm-hmm. That will damage the compressor. Definitely. And when the compressor is damaged, it comes apart strews metal throughout the entire system and you are normally looking anywhere from 2500 on up to repair those systems depending on application and vehicle well so many cars today have dual air you have a unit in the front and a unit in the rear so or now yet. you are contaminating two, two evaporators units. two expansion valves i mean you're doing right. a lot more damage plus the rear unit is generally a lot more difficult to take apart and clean and change and all that well and what you don't want to do is just go put another compressor on it well we see that i mean absolutely every day someone will come in with a compressor failure and they went and put a compressor on they spent about twelve hundred dollars last i guess the actual lifetime on that is from one to three months right generally so you just took 1200 bucks and absolutely threw it away in sure, fact worse because now you made it worse you put even more metal into the system so now you're coming in i'm telling you it's gonna be three grand to fix it you'd have been better off just spend three grand up front save the 1200 exactly now you had 4200 yeah 
and your prognosis of a good job is less because you got more contamination in the system. Well, at this point, you start changing all the pieces of the system. Pretty much every piece is going to need to be replaced. Right. The hoses that have mufflers in them, the condenser, the filter dryer, all of that's going to have to be replaced because there is just no proper way to clean any of that that's stuff. Right. To, it's to so the extent small. it has to be cleaned. Now, another thing that a lot of folks don't realize, but the water pump, a lot of times when a car overheats, will be damaged. Right. It may damage the seal in the water pump. Right, that's a ceramic seal now. A lot of times it is, and it may or may not fail or start leaking right then. But very, very often we get folks come in and say, my car overheated, a hose blew out, I changed the hose, but now it keeps overheating. Uh-huh. And what happens, let's say the hose was just old and dry rotted and it blew out. And then it overheated the car. The car went 250 to 260 degrees. A lot more damage has occurred. So putting a hose on is just not going to feed the bulldog. Mm -hmm. So they continually have problems with it overheating. Each time it overheats, they do more and more damage. Right. And if they keep on driving a car, they may actually total their car before very long at all. Well, sure, it's going to need an engine. It, it very well may because you end up blowing the head gasket. Well, now you've got coolant leaking into the engine. You expanded the main bearings and all that stuff. You may have galled the bearings. You may have galled the pistons up in the engine. So let's say you get a car that's been overheated. It blows the head gasket. Well, now it keeps overheating. It overheats three, four, five more times. You go in, you spend $2,000 to put head gaskets on it, and it's burning all now. That's because the cylinder walls are galled it up. Exactly. So now you've spent all that money. You've gone through all this stuff. Or let's say you put a new hose on it. Well, now the radiator blows out because it's getting hydrocarbons in the coolant. It's overpressuring the system. It splits the radiator tank. So you've replaced the radiator. You put a radiator. Well, now it blows the heater core out. Right. You put a heater core. Well, it keeps overheating. So you just bypass the heater core. Next thing you know, it blows the radiator out again. Well, that just keeps on overheating. And it just sets up a chain of very, very, very expensive events that sure. just keeps going and going and going. And we get this quite a bit where folks will come in, well, the car has been overheated once, and it continues to overheat. It's because of the collateral damage that's occurred. Exactly. Hey, one last quick little break, and we'll be right back with a lot more. Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Louis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco, after 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland of Agco Automotive. We've got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We'll be talking about cars overheating and the damage that occurs, but we'll be glad to talk about any topic you might have. 
you go ahead and give us a call. Get you an answer to whatever's bothering you. That's right. It's 291-6901. That's exactly right. And we were talking about all the things that go on and the things that happen and the damage that occurs. Now, the best way to deal with overheating problems is, is to prevent them. Exactly. Because trying to fix them is going to be expensive at best and very frustrating at sure. worst. Sure. But preventing overheating problems is generally relatively easy. Right. One of the first things that you can do, and that is to replace the coolant in your car because coolant does not have an indefinite life. The original long-life coolant that comes in most cars has at absolute best a five-year shelf life or five-year use life. life. The subsequent fills are going to fall to three years because you never get 100% out and not only that, when the car is new, 100% of everything in there is new. Correct. When you change the coolant, only the coolant is new. So you still got corrosion and all the different things. So it goes to three years thereafter. Now, when you change coolant, it's imperative that it's done correctly because if you do it improperly, you can actually do more harm than good. Most definitely. So you should always use a distilled water. Or a premix. Or, pre- or a premix coolant. If you use the distilled water, Mix it 50-50 with the correct coolant for your application. Before you pour it Before into the car. Before you pour it in the car. It will not mix in the car in many, many cases. So you want to pre-mix it in a separate container. That way you get exactly a 50-50 mix and then pour it into the car. Right. And be aware that there are just a whole bevy of different coolants out. They may all be either ethylene glycol or propylene glycol. But that is only the freeze side of the equation. Sure. The corrosion side varies. It's just a huge variance in right. that. It has I, to be the right coolant. I personally do not like the premix one-fits-all type coolants. I like to premix my coolant right. with the correct for the application and install it in the vehicle that right. way. Buy the concentrate and mix it or buy whatever they sell. For instance, if you have a newer Toyota or a newer Honda, you can buy the Honda or Toyota premix. Right. And what it is, Honda and Toyota realize that so many people were using city water city, right, not than mixing water. it right. They just started pre-mixing it. And the only drawback is you're paying for water. <laughs> you're paying for half a gallon of water, yeah. You're paying a half a gallon of water, and you're paying almost the same price for the coolant. So Correct. you're paying a whole lot more for the convenience as opposed to a concentrate. But in some of those cases, that's the only way to get the, sure. the coolant. For instance, Toyota and Honda both come pre-mixed. GM at this time still sells the Dexcool in a concentrate. concentrate. Ford sells the VC7B as a concentrate. Right. Chrysler has their long-life coolant as a concentrate, and so on. So when you get those, you have to pre-mix with distilled water before you pour it into the car. And when you drain the cooling system, if you have the wherewithal or if you want to bring it to someone, many times they can remove one or more of the block plugs, and they can get a lot more of the old contaminated coolant out. I know Toyota's real convenient with that. They actually have a, a petcock on the block. You slip a hose on the, the fitting, and you loosen the nut, and it drains the block. Right. Tighten it back up real clean. You hardly spill any coolant. The radiators are basically the same way. You open the drain cock, and right. you can drain the, the coolant out the radiator. You can get 90 I almost say 90% yeah, of the coolant. 90% out that right. way. Now, if you can't do that, then you just got what you got. But the best thing is don't wait for it to become 100% depleted. In other words, don't wait for seven years to do this. Exactly. Because now what's left is so woefully depleted and rusty and corroded that it's you're not, never going to get it all out. Right. If you change it at, say, three years before it gets to that state, then what remains in there is not going to be that much of an issue. If Say you happen to miss it or you end up not being able to drain the block out. Right. 
Go to a, a, a sooner interval of changing your coolant the again. The next time around. Right. Yeah, and that way you're getting more of it out. You could physically change it, run it around for a day or two, and come back and change it again, but that's very inconvenient and very sure. expensive. Costly. Yeah, you could bring it to a shop, and a lot of times they can get a lot more of the old depleted coolant out. But the point is to prevent all these other issues. Maintain the cooling system. Sure. Now, another extremely important thing is when the coolant level starts to get low, that indicates a leak. That's right. It's a a sealed system. Don't wait for that to turn into a major problem. When you see the coolant level going down, address the problem. Sure. Don't just go add water to it or add more coolant to it. Right. It's going down for a reason. And if you get air trapped in that system, you can start a whole of oh, yeah. corrosion well, going now on. now you've got dissimilar metals, you've got a corrosive liquid, and you've got oxygen, which is a perfect storm for corrosion. Exactly. And it's going to start eating the cooling system away. From the inside. And by the time you figure out this has occurred, you're probably going to be pretty close totaling the car. Sure. Because the expense is just going to go through the ceiling. I mean, sure. A lot. Well, think of an evaporator core. Yeah. You've got to take the entire dash out because yeah, the fire. Heater core. The heater core, I'm yeah. sorry. Mm-hmm. The heater core is actually bolted in the box, and the box is bolted to the firewall. In most cases, it is. So yeah. the whole instrument cluster, dash, and everything has to come out of a vehicle to change it. Easily $1,500 repair. Easily. For something that could have been prevented. Sure. And what happens is that once the corrosion starts, it starts to eat away at these little thin parts. It also produces aluminum oxide, which is an abrasive. The aluminum oxide starts going around, which wears holes right through these little thin parts. Sure. The heater core is probably the thinnest part in there. And it's generally going to be one of the first ones to go. The radiator is the same way. You mm-hmm. can end up eating up a radiator. And, and you know, while we're on the subject of radiators, mm-hmm. radiators now are made of lighter materials. They're, well, they're made, made of, of plastics aluminum and plastic. And plastics, whereas before, back in the day, they were made of copper, copper or brass. brass, and they had steel tanks on them. Mm-hmm. All that was soldered together. It was a real robust unit. The units today have a life. Right. That That is a maintenance item at Eight to ten, fifteen. Eight to ten years, you need to definitely start inspecting right. it. Personally, when my car or my vehicle is ten years old now, I'm looking at changing that radio. I'm not going to wait for it to give me trouble. Right. Because I know it's going to fail. It's kind of like a hard drive on a computer. It's not whether it will fail. It it's is when. When it's going to fail. Exactly. And fortunately, with a hard drive, you can back it up, so it's only real inconvenient. Mm-hmm. But at least you can retrieve your data. Yeah. So- when that radiator blows out and you overheat the engine and gall the cylinder walls, blow the head gasket and take right. out the transmission, if you're, you're luck- not gonna recover from that. If you're lucky it'll start leaking. Yeah. And you can catch it if you're not in a big bind with it. But most of the time when they start leaking they split wide open under pressure mm-hmm. and release all the coolant. A and lot of times it's a catastrophic failure. Then you've got a, an overheating issue. plastic tank goes out, and you on the middle of the 12-mile bridge. That's right. What are you going to do? You're not going to stop there. So when you drive it all the way on in, you're going to be in some pretty serious issues. When Definitely. time you get this thing stopped, what have you. So, you know, if you look at your radiator, have it inspected, and what happens, one of the first signs you see the paint, because generally that plastic is not, uh, always black. Sometimes it's an off color, and they paint it black to make it look like a radiator. Uh-huh. That paint will start to peel off. It turns kind of a brownish-looking color. Kind of color. chalky. If you look real close, you can see little tiny cracks all in that plastic. Especially around the seams. Right. You can take your fingernail and kind of scratch it, and you see the plastic is kind of brittle. Yeah. When that happens... It's time. Yeah, you're on the last legs. Go ahead and replace it before it breaks well, down. Well, sure. Replace it at your convenience. That's right. I mean... 
Another thing is that if the thermostat has not been changed, you might want to go ahead and change the thermostat at the same time because they do have a life. Yeah. Ten years is about it. And the coolant's out of it anyway. Well, and what happens, I find, is you have a thermostat that's been submerged in coolant for ten years and all of a sudden it's drained out and the air hits it, that's when it, it usually fails. Exactly. Within a week or so of draining the coolant, the thermostat ends up going out. Then you have to drain the coolant again, go in, change the thermostat. Why not do it all if at one time? If you don't overheat the car. Right. Now, one last thing I'm going to talk about, and that is the electric cooling fans on cars. Those tend to give a lot of problems. They do. And a lot of times you don't know that it's occurring. You'll see other little things. Like, for instance, your air conditioning may not cool as well as it did when you come to a stop. And that's because it's not moving enough air through that condenser. Mm -hmm. Now, that can actually end up taking out the compressor. So you don't want to keep on just driving the car or, worst possible, go ahead and add some more refrigerant to it because now you really, right. really made it up taking a big issue and made it into just an absolutely huge issue sure so i see we're just about out of time want to go ahead and get on out of here tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every saturday morning on the automotive hour i thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week and tell your friends about us get us more people listening for that's us. right we really appreciate that and also go to your favorite podcast rebroadcaster if there's a place for a written review give us a written review we appreciate that it moves us up in the ratings more people can hear us makes it worth our while to come down here and talk to you there you go <laughs> hey preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry have a great weekend